Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye talk. This will be the big one. Again, in season, this is the the bigger one that we'll do in a normal week. Last week was not a normal week. And then Friday, we will have your game preview, where we will zoom in more on what's going to happen on Saturday. Three topics we're going to try to hit on this podcast. One is, it seems like by the end of this week, from a bunch of reports that Cincinnati is going to join the Big 12. We don't know exactly when it'll happen, but that's going to happen. What does that mean for Cincinnati? What does it mean for Luke Fickle? But more importantly, what might it mean for Ohio State to have a, another power conference team in the state? What, what could that look like? We'll get into that. We'll also get into the best teams in the northern half of the country. We know Ohio State's the best one. Who's the second best one? And is it maybe Oregon? We'll talk about Oregon a little bit in the context of Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, and just sort of a little bit about Northern football. This is a project that we're working on that we're going to drop later in the season from a bigger perspective, but we want to touch on it now because these are two big-time Northern schools meeting up on Saturday. But we are going to kick it off with trying to make me a couple extra bucks. We're going to talk about my book, which comes out next Tuesday, The Road to Ohio State. It's a book about 17 different recruiting stories from 17 Ohio State players through the years. I've been reminding you guys of it. You can get it on Amazon. I hope it's going to be like in uh, most regular bookstores in Ohio, I think. And you can also buy it from me. And if you buy it from me, I'm going to have to charge you like a buck or two for shipping. But I'm going to sign it. So that'll be on my Twitter account at Doug Maurice. The texters, I'll keep you updated on that. I'll give a reminder once I have my Venmo or whatever set up for that, but there should be an easy way to just buy it from me and I'll mail it to you and I will sign it any way you want me to sign it. I will literally write anything. Buckeye talk. So Nathan, we gathered some questions from the tech subscribers about this book. I'm going to show Nathan and Steven what the cover looks like, but you guys can't see it. But Ryan Day's on the cover. Looking like all cool and stuff. I'm not on the cover. I sent a picture and we did some family pictures and I did a smug photo of me like leaning against a lamppost. 
And I did it. It was like just family pictures like a year ago. And I was like, you know what? I might need a smug photo of myself at some point in my life. So just take a picture of me, family photographer. And they took it. And then the publisher was like, send us your photo. So I sent in smug leaning on a lamppost, Doug. It's awful. But then it's not in there, which is probably good because it looks even more smug than I actually am. And I'm like an eight out of 10 on a smug scale, but I look like a 12 in the photo, but it's not in the thing. It's not in the thing. So you just have to imagine what I look like. All right. That's enough talking by me. Nathan, did anyone care when you sent out the call? Did anyone care? Did anyone respond and say, yeah, I have a question. There was like three people. Well, we, we got a lot of responses that were asking how they got a copy and how to get one autographed. So it sounds like you're answering that. Um, check Doug's Twitter feed and maybe he'll uh, drop that later on the, a future podcast too, to, to tell people exactly how to do that. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of responses and some were asking about some of the specific players. Like you said, there's what, 17 chapters. So some were asking about specific players. I thought it, just a good general question to start with though, came from the 317, which was how did you go about selecting the players to do chapters on? Like you, you were looking for, I guess, probably a comprehensive look at a wide era of Ohio state football but why these players specifically? Yeah, it's definitely not the best players. No offense to the players in the book, but there is not a lot of, I grew up in Ohio and I went to Ohio State. Because if that's kind of your story, it's kind of like, well, okay, right? That that's, that's hard to write five or six or 7,000 words about that. So I really was looking for, what I thought were interesting stories from good players rather than starting with, I definitely want to do these players. So for instance, and here's the thing, and, and Steven, you know, this now doing this, there is not a lot of totally new, Hey, here's a thing that nobody ever heard before about a recruiting story, right? Like, like I'm not trying I'm not going to trick you guys. There is not a ton of stuff where you have no idea about this person's recruitment. What I'm hoping to do in the book is like, well, you know, 25% of this story and here it is in more depth. But Stephen, we're at a point in recruiting where like fan, educated fans, like the people who listen to this podcast and subscribe to our text, kind of know the stories of a lot of guys. Because recruiting is now embedded into this, the culture of college football. While back then, it was kind of they just popped up on your team. And then 20 years from now, when they were done, someone said, can I ever tell you how I ended up at School X? Well, now we know how you ended up at School X because we literally follow you from the moment you tweeted out. Thank you for an offer from XX school while you tag every single assistant coach who was involved in your recruitment. So it's not as interesting to write a. It's not as interesting to write the face value details of a recruitment. You gotta dig in a little bit to find some stuff that maybe the average person doesn't know that most of us can't talk about until you signed and are already done with your career. Yeah, and and I'll be honest. I mean, like this is not. I didn't do Terrell Pryor in this book because I didn't. Idea is not like the most controversial recruitments in Ohio state history. That's, that's not what it is. And I still don't know that anybody could honestly get fully your hands around Terrell Pryor's recruitment. Now, Adam Jardy and I did a whole podcast on it several months ago and people really like that podcast, but there's a lot of stuff in there that we could talk about, but I still wouldn't be sure about writing in a book, you know, like forever. Like, I think maybe this is what happened, but I'm not sure. And it would be hard to find people to talk about there. But Nathan, I did. And, and this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this podcast. There were 
styles and strategies of recruiting that I wanted to talk about. So I wanted to find players who fit a strategy I wanted to talk about. So I wanted to talk, I wanted to write a chapter about Kerry Combs going into Michigan and Urban Meyer deciding we're going to go try to recruit Michigan. So I had to find a player where I could tell that story. So Damon Webb has a chapter in this book, but that is Urban talking about the decision to go into Michigan. It is Kerry Combs in depth talking about going into Michigan. It is Thomas Wiltshire, the head coach at Cast Tech, talking about all these players from Cast Tech who went to Michigan and here comes Kerry Combs trying to get Damon Webb and how did that go? So Damon Webb was a, was a good story, but I wanted to sort of find a vessel for that story. So then I wanted to find in the urban era, I wanted to write about, well, what's it like where you're an Ohio kid and you're kind of a three-star Ohio kid who got offers maybe in the trestle era, but it's harder to get that offer in the urban era. So then I did Darren Lee and I dug in on Darren Lee and I talked to Luke Fickle and I talked to Mark Pantone at length about the fight to get Darren Lee a scholarship. Listen, you guys listening to this know that story. Everybody knows that story. I know that, but you know, I talked to Pantone for like 20 minutes just about Darren Lee. I talked to Fickle for 20 minutes just about Darren Lee. I talked to Darren Lee for an hour. I talked to Darren Lee's mom for an hour. I talked to Urban for 15 minutes just about Darren Lee. Like I really tried to dig in on the thing that you already knew. And so there's a lot of stuff like that. I wanted to do Urban recruiting nationally, which is where the BOSA chapter comes in. And then I did want to do, I did like um, Keith Byers as an Ohio guy. But within the Keith Byers chapter, I went to a bigger thing of, Talking to Glenn Mason, for instance, as an Ohio State assistant about the pressure that Ohio State assistants in that era felt to absolutely get every kid in Ohio. It's not just like, oh, you assume the great players in Ohio in from the Woody era on down are going to go to Ohio State. But Glenn Mason was like, we thought we thought if we let one good player out of Ohio, we were going to get fired. Like it's it's sort of an assumption, but it's such an assumption that it becomes a burden. So it's sort of like people freaking out about like Keith Byers is awesome. He's Ohio's version of Bo Jackson. We're pretty sure he's going to go to Ohio State. But if he doesn't go to Ohio State, the world's going to be set on fire and sort of that standpoint of it. But uh, some of the more. I don't know, I don't want to say generic, but it's like Beanie Wells is great. Jim Trestle recruited Ohio. Beanie Wells went to Ohio State like I didn't do Beanie Wells. He's a great player, but I didn't I didn't think there would be like a second layer to that story. I think all 17 people that I picked, there's a second layer. Even if you guys know the first layer, I'm hoping the second layer has some stuff that you haven't read before. So you touched on about 12 different questions that people have asked in in some way. because People were asking little bits of everything you kind of just swept over there. Um, One that I thought maybe you could get to right away and – and you obviously don't want to give like the full stories on some of these, but you know, maybe this can be a way to sort of tease people towards it. But we had two questions that were a little bit similar from, from the 480. What's the most interesting slash wildest story of the group? A guy that should have gone somewhere else, but ended up at Ohio State. And then someone else asked um, Joseph from 216, stuff always gets left on the cutting room floor. What's the best story you heard but couldn't fit in the book or couldn't verify it enough to include? That'd be a tricky one to answer, but maybe the two of those things together. Like, what was there? Are there stories here? You said that it's not like, you know, groundbreaking investigative journalism necessarily. You're going into stories and giving them more depth that people already know. But, like, was there stuff that caught you by surprise? Did you learn more about um, some of these episodes in the process? 
Yeah, there was definitely, there's one chapter in the book where I talked to the player that picked Ohio State. I talked to the assistant coach that recruited him for Ohio State. And I talked to the assistant coach that recruited him for another school. And the assistant coach for the other school thought he was going to get that player. And he never knew why he didn't get that player. And the player told me what happened. And I told the assistant coach what happened. And like 40 years later, that assistant was like, what? Oh, my God. I wish I would have known that back then. So that was sort of the moment that that hit the most. Um, You know, there wasn't a ton left on the cutting room floor, frankly, because I felt like I was with the people I picked. I was able to talk to enough people for everybody where it was like 15 of the 17 chapters. I talked to the, the person I talked to the player. There were two chapters where I was not able to lock down the player, but then I talked to everybody else around him, but I talked to the head coaches. I talked to the assistant coaches. I talked to the high school coaches. I talked to the parents and I talked to some of the other assistants from other schools who recruited the guy. Right. So like, I felt like, I didn't end up having to leave a lot out. There's probably better books would leave stuff out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk down my book. Doug, don't talk down your book when you're trying to sell your book. But listen, I have a friend. I have a friend. It's one of these things you do this. I have a knot in my stomach about the whole thing. I don't know that I'll ever do this again. It makes me want to puke. The whole thing makes me want to puke because I'm so nervous about what I screwed up and it's going to be in a book forever. And I screwed it up. But I have a friend from Philadelphia who is like my age. And we sort of came up together, like writing for suburban uh, suburban papers in Philadelphia. And we, you know, we're still friendly and we, we chat every now and then we'll DM on Twitter. And, uh, and it's like, Oh, I have a book coming out. And he's like, Oh yeah, I have a book coming out too. And it's like, ah, oh, my book is about Ohio state recruiting. And it's like, I was like, what's your book about? And his book is like the definitive Kobe Bryant biography. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> cool you're going to make a million dollars on your book. Like it is like a Simon and Schuster. It is like, there's going to be billboards in times square for his Kobe Bryant book. So I don't think I could do that. Cause I'd have a not, I, I would, I'd be puking every day. If, if, if I had a book that was going to be on a times square billboard coming out, I'd be so nervous. I screwed it up. The story I think that I learned the most about was uh, the Kenny Guyton story, which when I got, this assignment when I got this. And again, it was a, a company that had done a Michigan book and an Alabama book. And they called me and said, do you want to do the Ohio state book as the third Ohio state book in this sort of series? It's not like I came up with this. Um, and when they said, do you want to do it? And like, I started making a list of the possible chapters. And the first one I wrote down was Kenny Guyton. And it's because everybody knows the Kenny Guyton story. And like, it's probably the one story I can remember when they were trying to get this quarterback late in the class. And I called the Houston high school where Kenny Guyton went to high school. And I was like, Hey, what's up? I, t- I got the head coach. With, I was like, Hey, what's up with Kenny Guyton? And he was like, Oh yeah, he just committed. And I was like, what? Cause I am not a recruiting newsbreaker. I might be the only one like I ever got in my whole career. I was like, wait, is this real? Like no one else has written this yet. And he's like, yeah, he committed like five minutes ago. And I was like, Oh my God. So The Kenny Guyton story, uh, the miracle of getting Kenny Guyton here is quite in-depth, and I feel like I covered every part of that, but it's sort of the funny details of, with that story, Kenny Guyton was home sick that day. His mom doesn't think he was sick. His mom thinks he was at Popeye's. He says he was sick, but he wasn't at school. 
And his friend called him and said, Kenny, there's a guy in a trench coat here. Get to school. And, and Kenny was like, what are you talking about? And it's the, all they remembered was this guy in a trench coat. And it was John Peterson, the Ohio State recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach, who happened to be in the city of Houston on the day Ohio State desperately needed any quarterback for its class. And if John Peterson had been in Dallas, they would have gotten a quarterback from Dallas. If John Peterson had been in Denver, they would have gotten a quarterback from Denver. If John Peterson had been in Atlanta, they would have gotten a quarterback from Atlanta. But they called John Peterson and said, gut to the closest uncommitted quarterback you can find. We need somebody. And that's how they got Kenny Guyton. And Kenny Guyton went on to be one of the great fan favorites I've covered here. And he's the receivers coach at Arkansas. And if he hadn't come, if, if John Peterson hadn't been on in his city on that day, Kenny, Kenny Guyton probably would have wound up as the starting quarterback at Prairie View A&M. So I think it's funny that first story you told about where the assistant coach didn't even really know the reason why that had fallen apart and or why he didn't get the recruit that came to Ohio State. And I'm wondering if that's maybe one of the biggest differences now is that these books now are written in real time in a lot of ways. There's, you know, how many different outlets are covering recruiting and talking to coaches and players every week. And, and those tidbits probably don't get as walled off as they did. 40 years ago where I don't know if the process was covered nearly the way it is now. You know what I'm saying? Like those stories probably are a little bit more front center. And I wonder how much that has changed recruiting because now teams and coaches probably find out Intel about themselves and about the process that's going on that they wouldn't have found out 40 years ago. I don't think there's any secrets left in recruiting. And I think back in the day, you could kind of have a little secret about a guy. And I'm not saying it's cheating, but I'm saying it's like, we know about a guy because I've got a guy who knows a guy who told me about a guy and we're going to do this thing. And it's not going to, I mean, the guy was not on declaring what his top 10 was. You know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah. Chris, Olave, so, yeah. Chris Olave is probably the closest you'll ever get to that the type yeah. of recruitment that was of a secret where you literally just happened to run into it because you were recruiting somebody you were recruiting somebody else because typically uh, another example of what Chris Olave is Keon Gray is the moment Ohio State offers him the world finds out and now all of a sudden he's not a hidden gym anymore he's a top 100 recruit so it's almost it takes a couple of things it takes you not playing football for a year basically and then showing up your senior year and just having a great season while a coach just happens to be on your campus yeah. Yeah. They're the guys who can fall through the cracks, but like there's a reason guys fall through the cracks mm-hmm. now, right? Because of injury or a transfer or something weird. I think back then, like good players could, just, <laughs> could just fall through the cracks, you know? Yeah. And um, there's uh yeah, you could really, it, 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 those days, it, like the relationships, the, the specific relationships mattered even more. They still matter a lot, but I think back in the day, the relationships mattered in finding a guy. Now the relationships matter in locking down a guy, right? That everybody knows him kind of, but and maybe a relationship helps you get in earlier on a kid, but there's, there's no more secrets. And back then, and again, it's not like even it's like, it's like 40 years ago, you know, back then it's that's, you could do that stuff. So I thought this was an interesting question that a few people asked, and I don't know how far down this road you want to go, but we did a whole podcast last year about the concept of, cheating and the concept of the, what does that mean? How much does it go on? 
And you just did a whole book about recruiting. So we had a couple of people ask uh, from the 440, ask Doug if any of them while being recruited were offered any, I think they mean unscrupulous inducements. They said scrupulous. This is one of those uh, cases of a, a word that you, you can use the wrong way. Uh, unscrupulous inducements to go to a specific college. And then from the 216, did Doug find any hints of less than clean recruiting practices? So how much did that come up at all in what you were talking? I mean, you did 17 different chapters. So 17 different recruiting stories, 17 different processes involving hundreds of different schools when you get down to it, because they all right. have, we're being recruited by multiple schools. So did any whiffs of that come through in those 17 stories? You know, th there was not a lot of eagerness on the part of players to be like, yeah, this school said, you know, put $5,000 in a paper bag and handed it to me. You know, I, that, that is, that is not what the book is. And that is, there is not a ton of that on the cutting room floor. And that's the kind of stuff that I, that I wouldn't put in anyway. Right. That that's in. It's, it's unverifiable. It's unverifiable. That, and who does that help at this point? If they didn't end up going to that school anyway. And it's, it is not, and it's not a Woodward and Bernstein recruiting book. I mean, it's not. And mm. if, if anybody would criticize it for that, like I would understand that, right? Like, well, huh, well, this is like, whatever, you know, this isn't the, but it's not, how do I say it? It's not sort of the vibe of the book. It's sort of not the intention of the book. And sometimes there have been books that are written about sort of like the seedy underside of college sports and the kind of stuff that happens. And that's not what this is. And maybe it's a failing of the book. I, I would be curious if I, if there is any feedback along those lines, but that is not where a ton of people went every now and then there would be a player or a parent who might insinuate. And we didn't get a good feeling from a school because they kind of, there was maybe some insinuation that they would take care of something and at least in these stories, that sort of seemed to people presented it as that turned them off more than anything else, you know, like, well, that's not, then we, that's kind of not what we want to do here. So, um, you know, there's, there's one story in there where a player decommitted from another school and sort of had to make a late decision and was making late officials and went to one school where it was warmer and was like, that was awesome. And like went to parties and hung out and it was nice and warm in December. And he had the time of his life and he was like, cool, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go there. And then his parents were like, well, you have another official scheduled. You've got to go. You're not begging out on that. So he came to Ohio State and it was snowing and he was like, ah. and then he and then he got here. And then he walked around and he was like, hmm, okay. I kind of want to go to the other place, but I kind of think Ohio State might get me to the NFL better. And I kind of think Ohio State might sort of like keep me on the path to being a great football player, even though the other place has better December parties by far. And that, the number of stories Almost every Southern player has a story that is like, I came here, it snowed, and I hated it, but I came here anyway. 
That is like the go-to if you live in the South or if you live in California. At some point, you're going to go, I can't believe how cold it is. I can't come here. And then you realize, wait, I can make millions of dollars in four years if I come here. So fine, I'll deal with it. Which is part of this sort of Kings of the North idea that this project we're working on that we'll talk about a little bit. That to me is what it is. That if the first impression of your campus is like, awesome, like, and I, 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 I don't mean, listen, Columbus is lovely in September and May, right? Awesome. But if, you're, if your December impression of a campus is, this is paradise, that is an edge for that school. If your December impression is, why would I ever want to come live here? Then your school is overcoming something because these are impressionable teenagers. And so you've got to give them something else. And that to me is the definition sort of of the is the underlying thing of the Kings of the North discussion is what's your December weather and is your weather a bonus or something you have to overcome. And if you have to overcome that, you are a little bit behind the eight ball when trying to win national championships. Let's just admit that. Right. So let's view college football through that lens a little bit. And the number of guys that that applies to in this book is numerous, but they came here anyway. So here's two questions that are kind of uh, two sides of the same coin from the 360. Which player recruited has had the most impact on the direction of Ohio State football on the Ohio State football program and the national perception of what OSU football is? Being a sailor, I've noticed that we're hated as much as Alabama now. I don't remember that being that way in the 90s, which I thought was an interesting uh, thing to tack on. Then from the 615, this is Eric. Um, Is there a story or stories that stand out of an OSU near miss in recruiting that would have dramatically altered the course of the program? You weren't really going into players that Ohio State didn't get, but you see how that's kind of, I guess, two sides of the same coin. Like players that either Ohio State got or fell just short of, or maybe ones that they just barely got that ended up being um, having real repercussions, not just for that class, but maybe for beyond that. Yeah, um, that is an interesting discussion. I do think, and, and again, there are a couple times in the book where even though the chapter is about one player, I do veer off momentarily and talk about another player as part of a larger point. I talk about a piece of Chris Spielman's recruitment in the Keith Byers chapter. And I talk about a piece of like the Von Bell recruitment in the Bosa's chapter, because the Bosa's chapter, Joey and Nick starts off the book and it starts off. It's a lot of urban that that chapter is about Joey and Nick, but it is the, it is also setting the foundation for urban Meyer gets here and goes national and takes Ohio state to another level. And urban has said this a couple of times and urban says it in the book. I think I put it in. I got to double check if I put that in, maybe I can add that in later if I missed it, but he always says the Von Bell getting Von Bell in the class of 2013 on signing day, that guy, he's, he's right on the Tennessee, Georgia border and they win a battle like that. There's no connection. There's no inside thing like they had with the Bosa family, but that gets him over the top. So that's mentioned in that chapter that I do when, Urban says, when we got Von Bell, I knew we could get anybody. And then Raekwon McMillan, a year later, sort of doubles down on that, getting him out of Georgia as a five-star. And then then there's kind of off and running. So I do think those two guys stand out. I I would say probably the near misses. There's just some stuff in there in the Cooper era. Kirk Herbstreet has a chapter in the Cooper era. Um, and, And I use that chapter 
to make a larger point about Michigan, the way Michigan used to come into Ohio and recruit. And I talked to this Michigan assistant who's in his late eighties or nineties now, who was one of Bo's big recruiters in Ohio. And he was all over Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, he was all over it, but they were all over everybody back then. Right. Like they, and so Kirk Herbstreet's dad was a captain at Ohio state. So they weren't going to get Kirk Herbstreet and Kirk Herbstreet was like, basically called up John Cooper and was like, whenever you want me to go, I'm ready. Like Kirk Herbstreet was, was going to try to help John Cooper right when John Cooper got hired. But Coop, there's enough things with Coop where if Michigan hadn't been so effective that I do think there's the thing about Cooper not beating Michigan, but, and, and this, again, I wanted to tell these stories, the strategies of recruiting. Michigan was just had a machine going at that time. And all of Bo's Ohio ties were really tough. You know, like that was like a real thing that it wasn't just automatic that Ohio, some of the good Ohio players sort of gravitated to Michigan, like like Bo went after him and he had multiple assistants who were down here all the time doing this stuff. So then when they brought in Cooper as an out of state guy. Right. And Cooper's trying to get his footing and Bo is just pounding the Ohio recruiting. It's really a tough spot for Coop. And so I think if he could have gotten over the top, you know, with a guy like Charles Woodson or whatever. Right. I mean that now he kept, you know, he kept Orlando pace in state like that's, but I, you know, I didn't write, I, I thought about an Orlando pace chapter, but even Orlando pace is kind of like great Ohio player goes to Ohio state. So I didn't do an Orlando pace chapter, but I do think there's room. If Coop, he got some great national talent, man. Whew. As Cooper brings up in the book, like everybody thinks it's urban. Don't forget what I did. So I was glad that Coop had that opportunity to say that in the book. And he said it some other places too. If he was not going up against um, sort of the the best of Michigan at that point, you know, and even when Bo, I guess, moved on to BAD and stuff, it's still there was quite a thing of, of what Michigan football was. And a lot of Michigan football was built on great Ohio high school players. And Coop had to fight that in a way that I think sometimes we forget. There's a question that sort of piggybacks on that from the 803. Uh, my bigger question is whether Ohio State is really a football Sorry, my, question, my bigger question is whether Ohio is really a football talent hotbed anymore. Most top 100 recruits lists now have very few Ohio State, Ohio high school players. In particular, Ohio seems to produce very few quarterbacks. Historically, OSU built its program as the only major program in a talent-rich state. Now we get most players elsewhere. If we did not, we would be Iowa, which is also a question that maybe leads into the discussion we're going to have later about Cincinnati, too, because that's not going to be the case anymore that Ohio state is the only major program in a talent rich state. No, I think we all know that. I think we all know the answer to that. And the answer is no, it's not what it used to be. And urban has a quote in the book of, you know, I can't remember the number, but I think it's in the first chapter, just talking about, you used to be able to get, you know, I don't know what it is there. He said something like in, in like Ohio and Western Pennsylvania used to produce whatever 25 star players a year. That's not right. You used to produce 10 five-star players a year. Now it's two, you know, and that like you just, if you think you can rely on that, you're not going to win national championships. So I think that has become more and more true over time. And I think it's obvious to everybody. You still, they're still good. There's still, there's still elite players in Ohio. There's just not as many. So if you want to win national championships, you have to go elsewhere. And that's, that's why Ohio state's, doing that now but back in the day and even woody but like when when woody 
you know, sort of revitalized everything with the Supersofts, he went and got some dudes. He locked down some guys in state for sure, Rex Kern, but he also went and got Jack Tatum out of New Jersey. So Woody, even in that moment, right, when it was like Woody was hitting the, the, the lull of the Woody era, the way he got back over the top was keeping the best Ohio players in Ohio, but realizing I've got to go get some other guys and imagine Ohio State with Jack without Jack Tatum. You can't. And part of that, I mean, part of the reason why it's fallen off is Ohio as a state has fallen behind the curve when it comes to developing football players. The fact that they don't have spring football, while places like Texas and California and obviously all these warm states do have it. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot and the demographic yeah. shift. And there's there's multiple things at play here. But if you don't recruit in the South, I don't think you can win national titles. From the 614, did you learn what might give Ohio State a sustainable slash long-term advantage in recruiting that's driven it into blue blood status? Is simply being a blue blood program its main advantage? And you obviously, you you wrote about 17 players over what, like five different coaching tenures at this yeah. point or six. Um, so maybe there's not necessarily going to be, necess- I mean, one thing that leads that, that, that is consistent through that whole time as far as, I guess, how they approached recruiting. But did looking back at 17 players over five or six coaching tenures give you any perspective into why Ohio State could be good for the next 10 years? So I do think, and I think, I don't know that we've talked about this angle for the Kings of the North stuff, but I think we will have to at some point. On one hand, Ohio State is behind or is fighting an uphill battle as sort of the only power national power in the North. On the other hand, they're kind of the only national power in the North. Now it depends what you think of Notre Dame and Notre Dame is a traditional power for sure. Are they as much of a power in the modern era? No, but they're pretty darn good. And so I do think I thought, and, and this is not in the book because Ryan Day said it at big 10 media days this year. And maybe he had said it before, but it just struck me when he said it, he said it, he said, We want players who think big. And it just struck me. And so I think if you find the right kid who is open, there are some guys, if you live in Atlanta or Dallas or Miami or New Orleans or Alabama or Los Angeles or whatever, you're just going to go where your parents can drive to see you. And then those guys probably aren't even going to visit Ohio State. They're never going to have the moment of flying in and being like, oh, there's snow on the ground. But then getting on campus and being like, oh, but if you if you get the open minded kid, Ohio State stands out. Because you get up here, it is cold, and then you get in the building and you feel it. Everybody, Stephen, again, you know all this stuff, Stephen, from the current stuff. And, and I dug in on this more than I had in a long time on recruiting. The number of people who pick Ohio State who felt something when they walked in the building that they didn't anticipate feeling. And there is something intangible about it. And it's not just that the building is cool. It's this Woody Hayes, man, I should have, I should have phrased it this way in the book. Woody Hayes is still, God, this could have been the last sentence. Woody Hayes is still winning recruiting battles for Ohio state today. 
Because what Ohio State did in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, and the way Ohio State can present that to the world, and the way that even if a kid doesn't really know about it, and I think we do talk about a lot, kids don't care about that. But then you go in there and you see, look at all the guys that have played in the pros. Look at all the games that they've won. Look at all the national titles. Look at all the Heisman winners. Something happens, I think, to them. And I do think there is a somewhat rare combination that happens at Ohio State of current success, big-time facilities, great tradition, and it's kind of the only option here that makes it stand out that to the, then why this is my answer to the question, Nathan is I don't know that that ever leads. And as much as we talk about one bad hire can torpedo any program. I even think if Ohio state had a bad hire, if they shook it off fairly quickly, and I think they would, this is not a place that's going to let you go four and eight for th- four straight years, right? If you fail here, you're going to fail Russia. short because they're going to fire two years you. of that. You get two years of four and eight and you're out of here. <laughs> you're going to get fired. Maybe. Yeah. So I do think there's enough intrinsic stuff here that as long as they fired somebody who's not succeeding fairly quickly, I think they could get it back almost right away because there still is enough stuff that guys get here and the combination of everything. There is an aura to Ohio State. And it's just – now listen, these are the guys who picked here. This is not a story of 100 Ohio State recruiting losses. So I'm sure you could find 100 guys who were like, man, I came up there. I froze my butt off. I was like, you guys lost by 30 to Bama in the national title game. I'm not coming here to freeze my butt off. I'm sure that happens too, right? So we can't pretend that doesn't happen. But they get enough good players who feel something that that I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, both sides kind of matter. I mean, kids don't care about that stuff until it's in their face. And then it's like, oh, man, I didn't realize that. That's with, I mean, they're 16-year-olds. We're not thinking about that. They're thinking, can you get me to the NFL and can we win a national title? And now that other stuff doesn't matter until you see it, which is what makes some of the guys, or at least one guy that's going to be featured in the book who didn't come on an official visit before he made his decision even more, that much more unique. Because in in the world of you have to think big when you're a national recruit to come here, you're really thinking big if you don't need to see any of that to know that this is the place you need to be at. But then on the opposite side, Ryan Day's talked about that as well. You'll have guys on campus. It's very clear the moment they touch down that this isn't a good fit. So it works both ways. Sometimes you see that stuff and it's like, man, I didn't realize that this is where I need to be. Or sometimes you see all that and go, eh. Nah, I'm gonna stay down here. So it's yeah. It, there's, it's it's the the negative is that kid didn't come to Ohio State, but the positive is you find coaches say this a lot, and I know a lot of his coach speak, but it also kind of matters. It's about fit, especially in this day and age when there are no recruiting secrets. It is about fit, and so both of those sides of that coin matter when you get these kids on campus to show them all this uh, culture that you have. Well, Ryan Day said something to us too recently in a conversation. I think he said it in public before too that you they don't like to have to sell guys. Right. On places Mm -hmm. that if you have to talk somebody into something, then you're probably going to spend the next four to five years and probably actually not even that long because it's probably not going to last constantly talking them into staying. And it's just that's that's a lot of resources to spend, a lot of time and energy to spend on something, whereas you'd rather take the guy who is more convinced just from organically. Right. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense from a recruiting standpoint. I think that probably. Um, that's something that I think from my years of covering college sports, I think sometimes fans don't get that. They think like when a guy goes somewhere else, they're like, why didn't you just 
hold him down and talk him into coming. And because, because that's not really how it works. And that's not really healthy for anybody. There was uh, Michael Jenkins. And again, it's like, you could make a case that Michael Jenkins, Holy Buckeye receiver, the receiving threat for the first national championship in 30 plus years um, is one of the more important recruits in recent Ohio state history. He's coming right at the end. He's a Cooper recruit. He's right at the end of the Cooper era, right when Cooper's about to get fired. And he goes to Notre Dame where the receivers coach is a charismatic young recruiter named Urban Meyer. Michael Jenkins is from Florida. He goes to Notre Dame, goes to Virginia tech. His host at Virginia tech is Michael Vick. It is like driving around with Michael Jackson. He said, it is unbelievable. He is like, I'm ready to sign. Let me be a hokey right now. And Michael Jenkins' dad is in the military, and Michael Jenkins' dad is like, that's not how we do things. Michael Jenkins' dad is a recruiter in the military who has young people of the same age come in and sign several years of their lives away to join the U.S. military. He does not believe in making decisions indiscriminately. So he says, we have made a plan to make three official visits. You are not committing to Virginia Tech. You're going on your last visit. And they come to Ohio State, which is not winning. It is like the, it is the low point of Ohio State football since like Woody's low. This is the end of Cooper. And Michael Jenkins gets here and is like, there's something about this place. It's not the winning on the field, but there's something about it because he's walking around. And credit to the Cooper staff, Jim Haycock, defensive coordinator, under Trestle later, Trestle kept him from the Cooper staff. Jim Haycock does a lot of work in that recruitment, but something happens. So what do you have to do? You beat Urban Meyer and Michael Vick to get a guy who makes arguably the most important catch in Ohio State history three years later. What is that? They're six and six. What, like they're, they're bad. They're not a good football team. They're not a good football team but there's still a good football program. So they still have something that makes Michael Jenkins, who is not a five-star recruit, who is not a five-star recruit, but who's a pretty darn good athlete from Florida decide, no, I'll come here. I'll come here. So that's the kind of thing that that's why I think Nathan, that, you know, are you going to win five-star battle? If you go six and six or whatever, you're going to win five-star battles. No, no, you're not. You're going to lose some more of those than they're losing now, right? If they start going the wrong way, if they would make a bad hire. But I think they would still be able to get enough talent to try to get it back if they if they flipped it quick. So for those of you who ask questions about specific players, I would definitely say I think those questions will be answered in the book. I didn't want to just rattle off a, an entire list of, of all of those. Um, but there were questions about Kenny Guyton, about the Bosa's, about Trevion Henderson, that I, I think those anecdotes that you're asking about or just some of those broader questions you're asking about, I imagine they're going to be answered in the book. I feel pretty confident that they're going to be answered in the book. So I thought we'd wrap up with this one from the 614. Uh, if the book would have included chapters about OSU recruitments that ended with the athlete going elsewhere, who are some of the athletes that you would have included? So obviously this was a, a, a project that was about roads that ended in Columbus. But if it had been expanded or more complicated than that, and if you had wanted to include – the ones that Ohio state lost as part of the perspective here, who would you have wanted to like maybe delve into more and investigate? 
I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is interesting because Damon Webb, the Damon Webb setup, right, of let's go to Cast Tech, let's find the best program in the Detroit area and get in there. And they get Damon Webb, they get Mike Weber, they get Josh Allaby, and then it comes time to like lock down this five-star receiver that I think Urban Meyer still says is like the biggest regret of his recruiting life at Ohio State, and they can't get over the top. Because the Michigan draw, the home state draw, the connections there are just still a little too much. And I think it would be an example of sometimes no matter how hard you go in and you're winning games on the field and you you are the more successful program, you cannot, you can't, the roots are too strong. I think that's interesting. I think the op- there's some Taj Boyd stuff in the Kenny Guyton chapter. This question specifically asked about Taj Boyd. Mm-hmm. So, and Todd, I mean, again, if you have a question about Taj Boyd, like, the chapters are supposed to be about a player. I, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to, to my credit, it, I don't stay there. I don't stay there. I use the players as jumping off points to sort of make the point I want to make about some other things. So there are, ta- I didn't talk to Taj Boyd, but I went back and found some Taj Boyd quotes and found some, things that I wrote during that recruiting time. I think Taj Boyd missing on Taj Boyd because of the Terrell Pryor effect and where it leads them next a couple different times. Um, I think is, I think would have been interesting. Again, I think the, in the end, the Ohio players that got out of Ohio during the Cooper era, they, they would have been in there um, a little bit, but some of this, again, a lot of this, um, and there's actually, again, there is there is a there's a there is a big story in there. There is a player that Woody recruited and got that a player from that same high school in the Pittsburgh area a couple years earlier was going to come to Ohio State and then Bo went in at the last second and the guy had not committed so we didn't flip him but he flipped him mentally and Bo, and Woody was and he went to Michigan and Woody was so mad, Woody, and I talked to that guy at length about how mad Woody was at him. Woody wanted to kill him. And then a couple the guy years, being the recruit or the assistant? The, the recruit. The okay. recruit who spurned Woody at the last minute to go play for Bo. And then two years later, that high school has another good player. And then the Ohio State assistant who's recruiting that high school is like, Woody, I got a guy. And Woody's like, I'm not going to that freaking high school filled with traitors and the assistant's like we got to go recruit this guy and he's like he's probably a turncoat just like this other guy was and the work they had to do to get woody to like even open his mind to this guy i mean that is there are it's these repercussions sometimes i think a school a, a, a college can sort of stick it to a school and do wrong by a player. And that will have lingering effects the next time that college tries to go to that high school. But this was a case where the high school sort of did wrong by Woody and Woody was like, I'm never going back, but they eventually persuaded him. And then the guy that they wound up recruiting wound up being one of Woody's favorite players ever. Well, I hope people are enticed. I think this is going to be a a really fun read. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. Eventually. I know that people can pre-order it on Amazon because Texers were already telling us that they have um, anything else you want to say just about it comes out a week or it comes out this coming Tuesday, right? This officially. coming Tuesday, the 14th officially out. So I assume that means bookstores around Ohio on the 14th on Amazon. Now 
uh, for a pre-order, can order elsewhere starting on the 14th. And again, if you want to get it from me, so it's 20 bucks. I think it's 19.99. I lost my reading glasses, which is a bad thing for uh, an old man to do. Yeah, it's 19.99 in the bookstore. If you order it from me, I'm going to set up a Venmo and then you'll be able to go in there, give me like 22 bucks because I got to pay for the shipping. And then I'll sign it. So you'll get a signed copy. But I hope they also set up some signings, at least in the Columbus area, where then you get it for 20 bucks and I'll sign it. And if I'm going to have some, I learned this from Bill Rabinowitz, who has written two successful books about Ohio State from the Dispatch. And uh, I hope you guys all have bought Bill's books about their national title runs from the past. Um, you have a ba- you have a box of your books in the trunk. So if you see me, <laughs> if you see me and you have a twenty dollar bill, anytime for the rest of the football season, stop me and I will sell you a book for twenty dollars and I will have a pen and I will sign it right there. But the main thing is, if you follow me on Twitter, if you're a tech subscriber, in the next couple of days I will get this finalized and figured out how you can buy it from me and get an autographed copy. Well, I think that gives us a nice thematic jump into the next two segments of this podcast, because we're going to come back after this break. We're going to talk about this King of the North concept that, like, as Doug says, we've been working on this for a while. There's going to be some more reporting on that later this season. And then we're going to talk about what's going on with Cincinnati and more importantly, how it affects Ohio State. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Thanks to Nathan for hosting that. I'm doing that on a couple of the podcasts. It's like I'm going to be a guest on podcasts and radio shows to talk about my book. So I thought, well, as well, well do it here. So thanks to you guys for indulging me on that. Let's talk about this Kings of the North thing. I want us to rank the five best programs in the North. And you guys know what North is. We've, we, this Kings of the North series, we've had somewhat of a debate of like, what is Kentucky? We split the state of Virginia up a little bit. There's a, you know, out in the plains, you can have a little bit of a debate, but basically it's like nice weather, bad weather. I mean, I don't know how much more specific to get. We did put Kentucky in the South, Ohio's in the North. So this is like big 10 teams, Northern PAC 12 teams, Northern ACC teams, Notre Dame, clearly in that mix. Who are the five best teams? I would say, I mean, programs, the five best programs sort of now and for the next several years, when we think about who can challenge Ohio State, because when we really talk about Ohio State, the context for them is Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma. That We know that. We do that all the time here. But who else can really be in that conversation? And we'll each do our top five. We'll start with number one. We won't do in reverse order this time. I will tell you this. This is, from, this is a ranking from Chris Stassen's website. He does great little uh, things where you can compare stuff. Winning percentage in the playoff era. Okay, the last seven years in the playoff era. These are the Northern teams. And at some point, I wouldn't mind us doing like our own like Northern top five or something. Ohio State clearly number one, 82 and nine, 901 winning percentage. Who do you guys think of Northern teams has the second best winning percentage in the playoff era? Your guess. I think it's probably a... um... It's probably not a power five school. No, I, I kicked out power five schools because okay. the last thing I want to do is have a freaking Boise State okay. conversation. Okay, 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 podcast. okay, okay. They don't get to be in. Okay, so that, that's important clarity. Only power there. five, only power five. Good luck, Boise State. We're not so talking we're, about you on this podcast. 
Best record, it might be Wisconsin. Steven, what do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, Wisconsin. That is a clutch grab by Baird that planted the seed on that. I would not have gotten that. You guys are both right. I don't think I would have gotten that. I don't think I would have gotten that. Well, which is unfair to Wisconsin. Yeah, they don't lose in the West, and then it's all a matter of do they play. Ohio State in their crossover to the East. And then they so, lose to Ohio State yeah. in the championship game. So Ohio State 82 and 9, Wisconsin 67 and 22. So the second best team in the North, Ohio State's winning percentage is 901. It drops to 753. That's what we're talking about here, right? So trying to be the second best team in the North, there's a big gap between one and two. Third is Notre Dame, 730 winning percentage. Fourth, I was again a little surprised by this. And also to your point, Nathan. We can't pretend that regular season winning percentage is the end all be all here because we're not only doing the big 10, we're doing other conferences, how tough your schedule is matters. But fourth is Iowa, hmm. Iowa, 689. That makes sense. Tied for Ooh, fifth, yeah. Utah and Washington are tied for fifth at 682. So this gets really bunched barely behind them. Also at 682, but it's actually like a 681. You round up is Penn state. And then, Oregon. So behind Ohio State, those are the next seven. It's Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Iowa, Utah, Washington, Penn State, Oregon as the top seven in the playoff era behind Ohio State. But as we think about this, and again, we're doing research for the project. I didn't want us to do a ton of research for this. I wanted to be more a little bit about perception, sort of how we feel and think about this. Nathan, who do you think Now, and let's say, so we looked backwards seven years. Let's say now and then forward seven years. Who do you think the second best team in the North, the second best program in the North will be? I think when you're looking back, I think right now there has to be a clear number two, although it's probably going to be to some people's mind a controversial one. And I think going forward, I would still pick the same program because of the platform and because of what they are sort of in the process of doing, and that's Notre Dame. Steven, is that also your your number one for behind Ohio State? Easily number one. Multiple playoff appearances already, and, I mean, the way Marcus Freeman's kind of recruiting right now, I mean, they, they, I mean, they might start putting a little a thorn in Ohio State's side in order to keep up this pace. And they're always a quarterback away. So I will say that Notre Dame is not my number one. And it's why it's a good discussion to have this week. I have Oregon number one. And the reason I have that is because they're in a conference. They do have a pipeline to Southern California at the moment. That's why their Kayvon Thibodeau is from the LA area and he's their best player. And I think what has happened at Notre Dame at, at Oregon that I think is a, uh, is really important to Oregon is they have moved beyond the Chip Kelly style of football and they are still finding a way to win. And I think that will continue. And if Oregon was a fad, if they were a spread offense, crazy uniforms, Phil Knight money fad, but that all of that was kind of tied to Chip Kelly being at the forefront of the spread era as Ryan day vouched for on Tuesday right? That 
that's a little bit like Purdue to me, right? Like Chip Kelly, Nathan is turbocharged Joe Tiller. So if that's all Oregon was going to be, they're going to be turbocharged Joe Tiller and it's Chip Kelly. And then the fumes of Chip Kelly with Mark Helfrich. And then after that, it's like, well, that's it. And now what's the difference between Oregon and Cal? Nothing. I don't know. Mario Cristobal is completely different. Ryan Day said that this is now a tough physical program. He is known as a good recruiter. He has established something. When they had a quarterback in Justin Herbert, who was like a dude, they were right on the edge of making the playoff. They are. They have a quarterback hole right now, but I can't remember the guy's name, but they have a, quarter, a quarterback recruit waiting, Stephen, right, who's going to be the quarterback next year. Anthony Brown's a patch. And I do think that they can re- retain a pretty high level of recruiting that I'm not saying Notre Dame can't, but I think what the Mario Cristobal era is telling me, Nathan, is that a lot of the pluses of Oregon were not a fad. And so I can see a path for Oregon to, to be in the future, even better than it is right now, where they did not look good in week one. And they're going to miss Kayvon Thibodeau when he goes to the NFL. But I can see it. And that's why I have my head in Notre Dame. Am I crazy? Let me ask this. Let's just make this a quick Oregon discussion. Where did you guys have Oregon on your list? Three. And where'd you have yours, Stephen? Four. And just for the sake of naming people, Ty Thomas Thompson, the number 40 player, number seven quarterback. That's their future starter. He's a so freshman yeah, right four. now, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And they had class. they had like a little battle, whatever. They kind of, but everybody kind of yeah, knew. Yeah, but everybody knew he, yeah. Him. No, everybody knew he wasn't going to be a starting quarterback. Okay, so Ty Thompson. So you guys have Oregon lower than me. Nathan, poke holes in my Oregon case. Well, part of it is if you're going if, – if I'm breaking ties, I'm, I'm leaning towards the program that is actively actually getting in the playoff, and that's Notre Dame. People can, I guess, you know, um, split hairs on that, whether they believe how deserving Notre Dame has been over the years. But – you know, they've gotten in there multiple times. They've played for a national championship in recent years, and we're farther away from Oregon actually being at that point. However, the reason I was putting or- Oregon... Oregon has played for a national championship more recently than Notre Dame did. Notre Dame got their butt beat by Bama in the national title game before Oregon got its butt beat by Ohio okay. State. So Fine. just, I mean, if we're talking national championship... That's losses. fine. Yeah, but, but, but Notre Dame has been the playoff team more recently. Correct. And, and, um, and again... Seeing what Notre Dame, I also felt like Notre Dame has a different, I guess it depends on how you look at it, because in some ways, Oregon is so separate from Ohio State that there isn't necessarily a lot of overlap, although there has been on the recruiting field, obviously. I mean, you know, JT2 and Maloow and other players that Ohio State's pulled out of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Uh, plenty of other players at Ohio State to pull out of the Pacific Northwest or California recently. There's definitely some overlap there. But I feel like Notre Dame is like the more immediate threat being next door to Ohio State, even though it's a national program at Notre Dame, that I feel like there are some 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 skirmishes that are happening there right now where Notre Dame, if I was breaking that tie again, because I think Notre Dame and Oregon are – one of those has to be runner-up to me. Like that's how I break that tie and lean toward Notre Dame just because of the more direct threat that I felt like they – were to what Ohio State is. Steven, what was your your take on Oregon? I compare it when I decided on my three and four, my number three is Penn State, just because I'm saying it for the sake of this 
conversation. I think they're very comparable in what they should be to their conferences when everybody is healthy. Penn State should be the second best team in the Big Ten, and Oregon should probably be the second best team in the Pac-12 behind USC. And so when I thought about it, I said, if the team in your conference who's supposed to be your blue blood is not healthy, what are you doing to take advantage of that? And it seems like with Penn State – their only problem is they have to play Ohio State every single year. Now, they've lost some other games along the way, yes, but at the root of it is we have to play one of the three best programs in college football every year because they're not only in our conference, they're in our division. Oregon and first of all, Oregon and USC don't have to play each other every year because they're not in the same division, one South, one's North. But then also USC has been a dumpster fire for the past decade, and Oregon hasn't really completely walked through that door. And they – Notre Dame's resume for why uh, Nathan and I both have them second is should be Oregon's resume over the last 10 years and taking advantage of what USC hasn't been able to do, especially since you're taking players from that region to add to your roster. Oh, wait, I'm getting confused by how you're saying rankings. Take Ohio State out. So Notre Dame. Okay, sorry. Notre Dame is first. uh, Penn State is second. Oregon is third for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So you guys both have Oregon third. This yeah. is a top five after Ohio State. So okay. no, then, then Oregon's my number two team by that. Oh, sorry, yeah. I was I was including yeah. Ohio State in my top. Yeah, five. Sorry. don't include because we we're doing a right top now. five after Ohio State. Okay. okay, so we all know Ohio State's out of the discussion. They're number one. So oh, so we're not as far apart as I thought. No, I thought you guys had them like third and fourth, and I was like, oh, you have Wisconsin ahead of Oregon. Okay, so we're basically on the same page. I have Oregon one, Notre Dame two. Nathan has Notre Dame one, Oregon two. Stephen has Notre Dame one, Oregon three. Nathan, is Penn State third for you? Yes. So Penn State is third for Nathan. It is third for me. It is second for Stephen. There is, so what sort of, Stephen, what you were saying, the idea of part trying to interpret how blocked you might be as a program, right? That Penn State is blocked by Ohio State. When USC is at its best and keeping Kayvon Thibodeau in Southern California, or maybe mm-hmm. UCLA starts doing it, that would also block Oregon. But Nathan, you and I still had Oregon ahead of Penn State. How do we view the being blocked conversation at all? For you, Nathan, is it a, a, a dividing line of Oregon doesn't have Ohio State in its conference, and that's why they're ahead of Penn State? Well, they don't even have the – Ohio State of their conference in their division, as Steven said. I just feel like for Oregon, there is a cleaner path to being the best team in their conference over a period of time than there is for Penn State. That that they they, they aren't blocked, but there's also I, I, that's part of it. But then also just I feel like the um, kind of things that you were alluding to, which is sort of the infrastructure at Oregon, the um, the essence of Oregon, I think is has been underutilized since Chip Kelly and maybe they're starting to get that back. And if they hit on that again, that the peak that they can reach is higher than probably still what Penn state can grab right now. I don't know if that makes you a better program. I just think it just makes your route to success easier. I do think we, I just want to give credit to Oregon because they are coming off a bad stretch, right? When we talk about, Oh, one bad hire, can sort of torpedo you. I don't, I don't know that Willie Taggart was a bad hire, but he left for Florida state because Florida state was kind of his dream job after one year. 
Right. And so that torpedo, but they also, it turned out Mark Helfrich was a bad hire. Right. And, and all the, whatever, I think we're probably past the discussion of like, what if Ryan day is Larry Coker or Mark Helfrich? It's like, he's not, he's not, but you think of what he inherited from chip Kelly. Helfrich goes 11 and two in his first year. He goes 13 and two in his second year and plays for a national title. No, wait, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. They had one loss and then lost. Yeah. Another. Right. And then in his third year, they go nine and four. And his fourth year, they go four and eight, and he gets fired. So that's like Mark Helfrich is the bad hire. Willie Taggart, who is a rising star in the coaching profession, takes it, goes seven and five, leaves for Florida State, and then flames out at Florida State immediately. Mario Cristobal is like, what? I'm the interim head coach after the guy leaves before the bowl in one year? Holy moly, what's going on? Goes seven and six. No, that was Willie Taggart's year. Goes nine and four in his first year. Goes 12 and two with Justin Herbert at quarterback in 2019. And if they don't have, they have two weird losses. They have the Auburn loss early non-conference that they probably should have won. And then I think it's Arizona State's the upset loss in the Pac-12. If they win one of those two games and don't have one, two weird upsets, they're in the playoff. Justin Herbert, man. Now, Justin Herbert might have been recruited by somebody that wasn't Mario Cristobal, but bottom line is they got a quarterback like that to Oregon. And then last year's just a jacked up year. It was more jacked up for the Pac-12 than anybody else. I mean, they really, it's almost like they should have given everybody in the Pac-12 an extra year of eligibility and not anybody else. It's like Bama Mm -hmm. players played 12 games and it's like, here's your extra year of eligibility. Oregon's like, oh, we played six regular season games in a weird bowl game and people forgot we existed. It's like, keep your eligibility. But Nathan, like that, that is a, that's a pretty rough stretch off of Chip Kelly. But yet I think, do you think it is fair to view them as the ship being righted under Mario Cristobal? Or did they just happen to hit on a kind of a generational talent at quarterback and Justin Herbert? And actually they aren't that program. Well, and they're definitely going to have to keep getting quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Chip Kelly, for as smart as he was and everything, was definitely getting um, guys at that position who could, could get things done. And that was a, a huge factor in their success. So that's something they are going to have to keep doing. But again, as we're projecting out, you, there's maybe not a lot of separation between the teams that we're talking about here in terms of how many games they could win in a given year. I think all these teams are in the same ballpark there. Even the teams we're going to talk about at numbers four and five are probably similar ballpark. But which one is actually, which ones could actually be, have the the, the kind of peaks that get you into the playoff every year? And obviously that's going to change when they expand the playoff. But like even under a four, four, team set system which ones do you think are on the cusp of, of fighting for one of those spots every year i think oregon's name is always going to come up they were i think they finished fifth in 2019 like they, they're always i think when as long as they have solved some of those problems you know getting the right quarterback and 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 taking advantage of that infrastructure that we talked about they should always be in that conversation I just think I need to see it a little bit more because I, I love the Justin Herbert uh, got brought up here because that's what it is here. It's you you went to the national championship with that's not your roster. And then you had a quarterback who, as we found out, is now a franchise quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers. So those are the two years that you were a 10-win season, 10-win team. I'm throwing out last year, but other than that, you've been middle of the pack 
in the Pac-12. So maybe I just need to see it a little bit more across some different quarterbacks who aren't just, you know, the off NFL offensive rookie of the year. I need to see it a little bit more while with some of these other programs, you've just seen it consistently, even if it's, that's the best they can do given their circumstances. Have you really seen that consistently from Penn state? Yeah. I, I think you've the, seen it more than Oregon, at least yeah. under the current coaching staff. You've seen it more than you have. In I mean, Oregon. they're not getting players like Justin Herbert at Penn state. No, they're not, but they also or Kayvon Thibodeau. Right. No, they're not. But also Ohio State's in their conference and they're getting those players. If Ohio State was if Ohio State well, was doing as bad as USC. We're talking about here. Right. What I'm saying is if Ohio State was in USC's position right now where they were a blue bud program, not living up to par, Kyle McCord would be Penn State's starting quarterback right now. I think I think that's fair. I think that's a good point that, again, Oregon is living a little bit on USC's downfall. But the thing that I think is interesting is that Oregon had its own downfall in a way and rebounded, right? Sort of rebounded from the downfall, I think, probably faster than USC has rebounded. That USC, we talked about Ohio State wouldn't let it linger. They've let Clay Helton's mediocrity really kind of linger, waiting for something to come around. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, ah, like, listen, Mark Helfrich, two years after he's doing the national championship game, got whacked because they were like, yeah, four and eight, one, four and eight year. Like, that's not it. You're done. They gave him no leash. Great. I mean, I'm thinking that's, that's the right decision. So to your point, Stephen, of wanting to see it more from Oregon, I get it, but I'm kind of giving them credit for kind of showing something when actually they were in a little bit of a bad stretch themselves and they seemingly got back out of it. But I understand where you're coming from. I do think Oregon, I still have Oregon number one because I just think there's a lot there. I really think they just could have been a fad. Chip was so freaking good, man. I mean, you look when Chip takes over. I think the last year of Mike Bellotti, they win 10 games. But then Chip's when Chip's the offensive coordinator. Chip, God, Chip was good. They finished 11th, 3rd, 4th, and 2nd in the final AP poll in Chip's 40 years as a head coach. They were 10-3, and 12-1, 12-2, It's unbelievable. And it could have been a fad, and I just think it's not. All right. We have the same top three, different order, but we have the same top three with Oregon, Notre Dame, and Penn State. Nathan, who's your four? This might be where it goes off the rails. I put Michigan number four, and this is as much uh, – you're starting to get down into a part of this list where it is teams that are kind of existing in that 9-10 win annual identity. Um, Michigan is still, and I don't know if this is foolish on my part, but it's still just the one, maybe just because of what I grew up watching, but like the one that I feel that is underachieving the most and that with the right fix can maybe even push past these other teams we're talking about. I agree. And one of the reasons I agree is because of what is happening at the other program that I think is in the mix here that I think has, is maybe giving us reason for some major pause about the true true upside of that other program but Michigan is next again when I listed the the teams best record in the playoff era of the northern teams I listed the top seven Oregon was seven Michigan would be eight and and not that far out their winning percentage is 650 so again you talk about winning percentages Wisconsin and Notre Dame are kind of clearly ahead uh, of the, you know, the next two after Ohio state is clearly, clearly Wisconsin, Notre Dame, but then the rest of the pack it's from a 689 winning percentage for Iowa to a 650 winning percentage for Michigan. It's all pretty close between Iowa, Utah, Washington, Penn state, Oregon, Michigan. 
I was right on the edge, but I also put Michigan fourth. Steven, did you have Michigan in your top five here? I did. I did for as well as because they're four. And it's because you have reason for optimism in a way that maybe you don't have enough reason for optimism at other places. Some other places it's, they are what they are and in other places are not getting it done the way they should be on the recruiting trail. While Michigan just went down a five-star quarterback and they just revamped their coaching staff. So you also have Michigan four. We all yeah. have Michigan ahead of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Do we all have Wisconsin five? No. Nope. You guys don't even have Wisconsin in your top five at all, even though they are number one in winning percentage in the playoff era of Northern teams behind Ohio state. They did not make your top five. Okay. So you guys are even they're fifth for me. So let's have a, a little, we, we all might be holding on to something with Michigan. That's not there, but I think, I think people know where we're coming from here that it's like, okay, we have Michigan ahead of Utah and Iowa and Washington. And we're sorry if that offends anybody who's a fan of Utah or Washington or Iowa. Let's have the Wisconsin conversation first, before we get to who you guys have fifth. Cause I do have Wisconsin fifth. The fact that Graham Mertz has been welcomed to the Wisconsin Noodle Arm Hall of Fame and Jack Cohn made some throws for Notre Dame has opened the door of, oh, Wisconsin just has no idea how to develop quarterbacks. It's not about recruiting. It's about a hole in QB development. And if that's what your deal is, your ceiling is locked in. Steven, you're nodding along. Where are you thinking on this? Yep, I think if we'd have done this a week ago, Wisconsin would have been number four or five for me, and it just would have been what it is. Graham Mertz is he's ready to raise the ceiling on, on Wisconsin quarterbacks, and here we go. And then they played football, and then Jack Cohn played football, and it's like, oh, we now we know why you run the ball so much. You guys don't know how to coach quarterbacks over there, and so I, some of it is I also, as you can tell, penalize teams who don't necessarily have to go through Ohio state to reach their ceiling all the time. And they don't necessarily have to re- they don't have to play Ohio state into a big 10 championship game in most years, unless they're in that cycle where they're the big 10 East team they play. And so of course they have the best re- record winning percentage. Of course they were able to get to this many big 10 championship games. Of course they were able to do all these things despite not having the quality quarterback play you need because you don't have to play the team who is consistently going to have the quarterback, the quality quarterback play you need along with the talent that goes around it. Is that basically your vibe too, Nathan? Yeah, it's just a matter of uh, since uh, Wisconsin's in that position where they have to threaten Ohio State in some way, and they never really feel like a threat to Ohio State, and they feel like even less of one after what we saw last Saturday. I think if they had beaten Iowa there, they might have been my number five team. So that's probably a little bit unfair to like Penn State. Penn State, yeah, Penn State. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah. if they beat Penn State there, even though it's a home game, I mean that maybe affects my vote here a little bit. Um, but, but probably not a lot because I still just feel like I, it probably would have affected actually my, my thoughts about Penn state more than my thoughts about Wisconsin. All right. So let's get to who you guys do have fifth. Uh, Iowa state is interesting because Iowa state's really good right now, but I don't know that they're going to like maintain that. Cause does anyone think Matt Campbell's going to stay, especially now the big 12's blowing up. I don't know that anybody else in the big 10 deserves anything like this. I don't know how much people are in on like, the Halfley, the Halfley world at BC. But again, if Jeff Halfley really gets it going at BC, he's probably going to leave. Are people in on Maryland or Rutgers? Does someone think Jimmy? I still like Jimmy. Like that's an awful loss for Washington. Do people think Washington is this? Or is this where we start talking about what happens when Cincinnati is in the Big 12? Nathan, who's your five? It's Cincinnati. Steven, who's your five? Cincy. They, yeah, it's Cincy. 
Should we save it? Nathan, are we going to say anything here that's going to not apply to our Cincinnati joining the Big 12? Or should we tease people with the discussion and come back after the break? Well, say, yeah, not to be your secretary, but I think you have a call or something coming up anyway. So why don't we take a break and come back and get into it at that point? All right. So let's wrap. That's a secretary thing to say. That's, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get out of here because I got to do this call. Uh, Mr. Lamer East, your 1220 is calling. (laughs) It's, uh, I actually think I'm promoting the book. <laughs> promoting the book on a different radio show. I think I'm going on Keith, on Keith Byers, who is in the book, on Keith Byers' radio show in Dayton that he hosts. Oh. So we can talk about that. The final five, then, for me, Ohio State is obviously number one, so we're not counting them. I have Oregon one, Notre Dame two, Penn State three, Michigan four, Wisconsin five. Nathan, Notre Dame one, Oregon two, Penn State three, Michigan four, Cincinnati five. Steven, Notre Dame one, Penn State two, Oregon three, Michigan four, Cincinnati five. So Steven and Nathan have the same teams. They just have flip-flopped Oregon and Penn State uh, two and three. I was a little bit different in that I moved up Oregon to number one as high as I did. Okay, look for that Kings of the North package later in the season. We're really trying to put in context that there is something a little bit different about trying to do this in this part of the country because of weather more because of the number of recruits within 300 miles of your campus that can win national championships for you. I think the culture of football matters a little bit and we're just trying to, you know, geography affects everything in America. So I think, you know, you wind up, I'm, I like the nationalization of college football, because I think back in the world where we didn't have a true champion because it was a bunch of chuckleheads voting for something didn't make any sense. But also part of what makes college football great is the regional traditions and the regional culture of it. So we're trying to analyze. We think the teams in the North maybe have a similar culture. And when you're trying to do it the same way, who's the best of that way? And Ohio State's clearly number one. And when we get into it, it'll be in another month or so. We'll let you guys know when it's coming. You can read that at cleveland.com. And we will talk about it again on Buckeye Talk. For now, though, we're going to take a quick break. Come back on the other side. Cincinnati looking like it's going to become official at the end of this week that Cincinnati will join the Big 12 whenever that actually happens. What does it mean for the Bearcats? What does it mean for the Buckeyes? We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk for our last segment. Talking Cincinnati, all the reports is going to happen. Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, BYU expected to join the Big 12. They'll be joining Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, West Virginia, and Iowa State. That will get the Big 12 back to a 12-team conference. They're a 10-team conference right now, but they're losing Texas and, Texas and Oklahoma. Nathan, we don't know. I don't know what all the particulars are of when everybody's going to leave, when everybody's going to join. My uneducated guess would be maybe if the Big 12 has this plan to add teams, they'll work something out with Texas and Oklahoma to let them go before 2026, which is what they would be locked into now. That just feels like, well, if this is going to be what the new stuff is, and and there's, it's not just your, if you're just losing, it's like, screw it. You guys can't go anywhere. But if you're adding things, you might want to get to the new version of the big 12 and, and then let them go. Yeah, to me, it's like when you get a job with a competitor, sort of like a lot of times you don't get you give two weeks notice, but usually the your employer is like, no, that's fine. You can leave now. 
We don't, mm-hmm. you don't need those two weeks. But they can't do that if there's nobody there to do your job. But now they're going to go get some combination of these four schools to try to do the job of Texas and Oklahoma. And I think you're right. It probably does hasten the departure because I an, an acrimonious four or five year period waiting for them the whole time them wishing they were in the sec the whole time the rest of the conference waiting for this inevitability of them to leave for the sec what good does that do anybody okay so cincinnati in this conference steven good for cincinnati bad for cincinnati Eh, doesn't matter much either way it it depends i guess it depends on how the big 12 is going to be classified after losing texas and oklahoma if they're still going to be a power five conference, then it's good for Cincinnati because there are some guys in Ohio. While Ohio State's still going to get the, the cream of the crop there, there are some guys underneath that who maybe are headed to Penn State's or the Clemson's or Indiana's or just other schools in the Big Ten footprint that Cincinnati can now go get because they're a power five school now. Or the alternative is it's now just a power four and the Big 12 is not a part of that anymore. And it's just, eh, Cincinnati's the same that they always were. They just get to play, I guess, better teams. I mean, I, I think, think this has it, to be considered a step up from the AAC. Right? I think it's, a, it's how big of a step. I think to your point, Stephen, depending how the Big 12 is viewed in the new world, especially the new playoff world, but – where I think we're, we might pull back. I think it's possible that we wind up sort of talking about four power conferences and everybody acknowledges the big 12 is not on the same level as the PAC 12 ACC, SEC and big 10. But I also think it might matter less because at least the proposal right now for the playoff is six highest ranked conference champs. It doesn't matter what conference you're in. So it, it might matter a little less and maybe we start using different descriptions to talk about conferences but nathan if somehow the big 12 is viewed on the same listen the sec is the sec and probably the big 10 is the big 10 but if somehow the big 12 is viewed on the same level as the pac 12 and the acc then this is potentially a bonanza for cincinnati it's huge at that stage because i think cincinnati has already put itself in a the conversation for being one of the 15 best programs uh, they're already there. I mean, they're ranked, whatever they are right now, eighth. They were eighth going in last week. I forget what, whether they moved up or not this past week. Um, but they're still in that neighborhood. I mean, they're a top 10 team right now. And, and there aren't that many teams that get to say that. Like, you can look around the Big Ten. How, when was the last time, like, three quarters of the Big Ten was ranked in the top 10? Like, that's crazy. So they're already in position. What they don't have, though, is the – additional respectability or even like, I guess, opportunity for achievement that goes along with it. So I think even if they get into a conference that is still seen as clearly the fifth best power five, that's still a step up for them because now you get to um, absorb a loss along the way. And if you still win your win out and win your conference championship game, the way someone like Oklahoma has, you're still having more convincing case to get into the playoff than you do right now. If you go undefeated as Cincinnati. I'll say this, though, it makes the, the recruiting battle a little bit more interesting, not necessarily with Ohio State, but with Kentucky, who is starting could, to get some of, some of these Do you not guys. think I have a whole section planned about the recruiting sorry. battle with Kentucky? Sorry, sorry, sorry. We're not talking sorry. about – do you not think I just did 40 sorry. minutes of research on sorry. recruiting Go rankings? Go ahead. Sorry. Let's stay – Steven is the linebacker who doesn't stay <laughs> in his gaps and is constantly overplaying. He's getting out of position because he just anticipates too much. 
Sometimes I'm 2019 Josh Proctor. Yeah, no, I'm 2019 Josh Proctor. Sometimes it's a sack. Well, 2020 Josh credit. Proctor didn't have a starting job, so you might want to think about where you're headed. Sometimes it's a blown coverage. Sometimes it's a sack. But listen, I mean, I'm, listen, could I be more tough, Borland? I'm setting up the defense to make a play. I might not make it, but I have a plan. Trust me that I have a plan. Also, the thing about me, I am not good in the weight room. Not good in the weight room. I've been watching old. You should see me in the bar. Me and just the bar is quite a relationship. And it's not in the bar or on the bar. No, like trying to lift just the bar with no weights. Either. (laughs) I don't go to bars. I haven't been to a bar. I, I haven't had a drink. I should do a drunk Buckeye talk sometime. That should be your last Buckeye talk. Am I not retire. drunk right now? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that will be that. We'll plan it that I'll be drunk in Disney World podcasting and then yeah. I'm done. So here's the other thing about Cincinnati is, and this is the ultimate thing for everybody, but I think they'll take it. But it's like, cool, you're going to be in a better conference. That means you're going to get more respect because you're going to be, play better teams and you'll get that respect as long as you beat the better teams, because yeah. mm-hmm. it is very easy. I think to be like, well, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the big 12 stinks, but when you're really getting down to it, right. And you're really trying to compare, there are still some very solid, not great, but solid programs in that conference that are going to make it more difficult than, for instance, Cincinnati's conference schedule this year. Their conference games are Temple, UCF. UCF is one of the teams that's going. Navy, Tulane. Tulane, by the way, looked very good against Oklahoma. Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, East Carolina. You know what? Like, there's a group of teams in the Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas State range, Nathan. And then guess what? BYU, Houston, and Central Florida, all pretty good. Is there any potential downside for Cincinnati where it's like, oh, cool, Cincinnati's in that new conference where they go eight and four all the time? And would you maybe be better off being the absolute big dog in the American saying, hey, where's we're 11 and one, we're 12 and oh, where's our playoff invitation? Rather than going to a place where, guess what? Kansas State and Oklahoma State and TCU and Iowa State, as long as Matt Campbell's there and West Virginia. I think they're going to beat Cincinnati sometimes, at least more than Temple does. Absolutely. But then I think the wider conversation is all of the other advantages that Cincinnati has by changing conferences that you then assume get reinvested into the program and then show up on the field. Right. So I don't even know what channel they play AAC games on. Like what sort of fourth tier down the line sub package you have to subscribe to to get ESPN plus ESPN plus. Okay. ESPN plus. (laughs) <laughs> but sorry, sorry, Cincinnati. But so a sub but, package. A but sub clearly package. a sub package. <laughs> but it's not it's not a sub package to get Big Twelve games. I mean that's now again that's going to come up again in a few years. They're going to have a, a renegotiation, and we'll see what they get paid for that. But you got to assume this is a a beneficial financial situation for Cincinnati to be moving conferences, or they wouldn't be doing it. So I think that's the other thing to remember here is that. All things don't stay the same. The Cincinnati that exists right now changes down the line. It may take a few years for that to really go in effect, but it changes. So we're not comparing apples to apples here because 
it's not going to the Cincinnati of today isn't going to assist exist the same way in the future. In theory, their their program gets bolstered, and maybe whether it's recruiting resources, whether it's um, uh, facilities, whatever, they can upgrade things that then make them even more competitive with those bigger schools. So, Stephen, we are inching closer to the recruiting conversation. But Stephen, do you agree with the idea that Cincinnati in making this move must get better or it might not be a good move for them? That Cincinnati, even though they are such a good football program like now, they still have to take another step. Yeah. I, I, they need to be nine, 10 wins to start off with to kind of build off of that and, and kind of show um, – basically anybody who's a 16 or 15 year old kid right now that this is headed in the right direction. Now that we're up here with the big boys, well, quote unquote, big boys. So let me ask this. Okay. So I use those same Chris Stassen uh, rankings from the playoff era that we used earlier in the podcast. I use them to look at the 12 teams that will make up the new big 12, the eight existing members, plus the four, they're going to go just a pure guess, pure guess of those 12 teams. And again, we're comparing across very, very, very different schedules. Steven, what would you, where would you guess Cincinnati ranks in the playoff era in winning percentage among the 12 teams that will make up the new Big 12? Third? Nathan? That might be high. I'll say like, I know I think that's probably actually ballpark over what period of time? The playoff era, last seven years. Just pure winning percentage uh, of fourth. Yep, it's fourth. Good guesses by both of you. But there are more good teams than maybe everybody realizes on first blush. Here's the rankings. Number one is Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State is actually probably substantially better than people in Ohio realize. Oklahoma State, I think, is like uh, Iowa Plus maybe closer to Wisconsin than we realize. Like, I think I was like Oklahoma state has some dudes. They play some offense. They always have some skill guys. They often have a pretty good quarterback. So Oklahoma state is one TCU is two central Florida is actually ahead of Cincinnati. Central Florida. One of the new teams is three very close with Cincinnati though. Cincinnati's four fifth is Houston also one of the new teams. Sixth is BYU, also one of the new teams. And you can tell the four new teams are higher on this list because they haven't been playing a Big 12 schedule. So we we are taking that into account. Tied for seventh, Baylor and Kansas State. Ninth, West Virginia. But there is a big grouping that Oklahoma State and TCU are a pretty clear one-two Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, Kansas State, Baylor, West Virginia. Those are very, very similar programs, I think, Nathan, in the quality of football they play, the investment in football, the upside of football that they do regularly have NFL players on those rosters. And in the perfect year, I think any of those teams could jump up into the at least playoff conversation And if and when we get to an expanded playoff where we have six conference champs getting automatic bids, I think all those teams are contenders. Listen, man, Zach Wilson, Cincinnati's going into a conference where Zach Wilson is on the one of the teams that's going to join that, right? I mean, Houston at times has lit it up. I mean, there are there are Patrick Mahomes played in the is one of the right is one of the guys that's going to be on a team was on a team that's going to be in Cincinnati's conference now. 
there's a lot here. And that's not counting Iowa State, which has not been a good program traditionally, but is at an absolute century wide peak for the Cyclones right now. I think it's possible that, and I only say this because I do it. I think the Big 12 minus Texas and Oklahoma and then adding these four teams is better than I realized. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, although I will also point out we need to divorce ourselves from right now we look and say, well, there's clearly a way that Oklahoma State or Kansas State or Texas Tech could have the kind of season that gets them in playoff contention. But in our mind, the way we picture now, it's because they would be knocking off Texas and Oklahoma to get there. And now you aren't clearing that hurdle. Now you aren't adding that achievement to your resume there. That, that isn't going to be, it isn't going to exist in front of you. So, um, and they're not going to be part of the Alliance. So they're not going to be um, adding those kind of marquee non-conference games. And a lot of those non-conference games are going to be kind of blocked off from them because how many of those teams are even going to be available for them to play? So that's the one thing that the one maybe hesitation I have that maybe still keeps them firmly in that fifth spot um, at best is because the the marquee isn't there. They're going to have to create um, sort of organically some other marquee team is going to have to rise out of that and push itself up to that stature. I mean, they're going to almost have to do a weird – somebody's going to have to do a weird Clemson-y, Clemson-y kind of thing, aren't they? Like in, a, in an otherwise kind of limp conference, somebody rises up and, and proves itself on the national level regardless of how good the, the regular season schedule is. That is a name that has floated in my head. And I'm not going to pretend that I know a ton about Clemson, Stephen. But is it possible? It's perfect. That that is Cincinnati's ultimate upside. That listen, you know, because Clemson is a school in a state with a big state football program, University Mm -hmm. of South Carolina. And Clemson cares about football. It's in a smaller city than Cincinnati is in. They do have a history. They won a national title in 1980, but they, you know, they've been good at times, not good at times. They are not a sure thing team. They kind of came out of nowhere with some great player development and an excellent, excellent head coach and staff. And then they built upon that. The question though is, Stephen, is Ohio State too much of a roadblock for that? And the fact that Cincinnati's not in the South. That are there too many? Are there too many things where if Clemson's your ultimate upside, there are still too many things that are different between Clemson and Cincinnati that Cincinnati's never going to get there. I think it's more the South thing than the Ohio State thing, because I think one, it's not totally apples to apples because Clemson also plays South Carolina every year because they're rivals. I don't think Ohio State and Cincinnati will start playing each other every single year, even if they're both Power Five schools. They power definitely will not do that. Ohio yeah, State would rather so, drop football than facts. play Cincinnati every year. Facts. So because of that, it's more: can they work up enough magic to be Ohio State JV, where Ohio State can go get anybody they want from any region they want? Can they just can Cincinnati like pull every so often a kid out of Georgia or pull every so often a kid out of Big 12 territory, the Southwest area, because they are technically in that conference and do it enough at some key positions to where all that's where you get the Clemson thing going in, because it's also Clemson's rise was mirroring Florida State's just complete drop off the face of the earth. 
And so, I mean, there's no drop off in the Big 12 from a, from a competitive standpoint, other than the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the conference. So here's where your rise can begin. So can you kind of in some way conjure up a recruiting scheme that allows you to take advantage of a few guys in the Southwest and also some guys where they're not necessarily Ohio State level, but they could come play for you and be a star? Is Michigan State a better comparison? That we are talking about a state that has two power five teams. One is a traditional power, but especially if the traditional power ever dips. So Michigan dips, Michigan State rises. But in its own way, on its own two feet, Michigan State can also find a way to win consistently when it has the right coach. That Cincinnati, if you're now going to be a power conference program, Nathan, is that a good comparison? I think that is a more interesting comparison. Um, the, Clems- the, the the South Carolina thing is tough because South Carolina, while they are the big state school in South Carolina, is not equivalent to Ohio State. Like Ohio State, mm-hmm. as we're talking about with the King of the North mm-hmm. thing, like its its expanse is just so wide. Um, that's a hard thing to try to knock them off their pedestal. But if you kind of exist under yourself um, and maximize, you know, y- your own identity that that Michigan state was able to do even for just a brief period of time. I think that's where the crack occurs. And again, for Cincinnati, they're not that far away, even though Doug, you and I last year on Monday madness, when we were doing our playoff contenders were constantly kind of leaving Cincinnati on the outside of that conversation. And even though I have voted them much lower than they're being voted right now, although that I may have to change that very soon. If, if uh, they start knocking off the likes of Indiana and Notre Dame, then um, I, I still feel like they are still so much closer to that conversation. They're not going to have to. It, it's just a matter of being pushed across the goal line. And we'll see. I mean, I guess there's a world in which they could do it themselves this year because they get to play Indiana and Notre Dame, right? You beat teams like that, and then you run the table in the AAC, you're already you already are pushing yourself into the conversation of becoming the Clemson of this new thing. Because now you're, you, you have to be taken more seriously as a playoff contender at that point. So I think the thing that Cincinnati, that Luke Fickle, that the fans of Cincinnati would embrace is, all this talk going away. It's no longer like, yeah, you won, but nobody cared. It's like every game you win, people should care because you're going to be playing a team like Indiana all the time. You're not going to have to wait. Oh, that's our one game. We better win that one game. You know, oh, we better go. We, we lost at Ohio State. Everybody thinks now our other 10 wins don't count. So I think that potential, that idea is, is very much something that I think Luke and the fan base will embrace. The other thing that I think we were hitting on, and we're going to turn the recruiting conversation, but Nathan, you're kind of making this point. The eight existing Big 12 teams are moving down in stature, which would, should negatively affect their recruiting. The four new Big 12 teams are moving up in stature, which should positively affect their recruiting. So looking backwards, you have to keep that in mind. So, for instance, the idea that Oklahoma State has had a better recruiting class than Cincinnati each of the last four years. And I I gave Luke his first year to be the head coach, and then I started counting the recruiting classes. Cincinnati has never had a better recruiting class than Oklahoma State. But Cincinnati has been doing it in the American, while Oklahoma State's been doing it in the Big 12. You would understand why they could close that gap because Oklahoma state's probably going to come down, but Cincinnati's going to go up. But I think the point is Cincinnati has to go up last four years, two, four, seven sports recruiting rankings, 2018 Cincinnati first in the American 49th in the country, 2019 second in the American 66 in the country, 2020 first in the American 
41st in the country. 21, first in the American, 45th in the country. Steven, when you are the best recruiting team in the American, you're 40th. I think there's room in this world for Cincinnati to pull in a top 25 class on a consistent basis. And here's why. And I'll drop the numbers and then you can jump in on this. Mm -hmm. I looked at competitive big 12 teams, but I think more important is the point you're making the teams that Cincinnati is going to recruit against, which aren't necessarily going to be big 12 teams. The teams that I think Cincinnati recruits against are mid tier, big 10 teams, Indiana, Mm -hmm. Purdue, Michigan state kind of teams. I think Kentucky's in there. I think West Virginia, which is a big 12 team, but West Virginia's in there. And I think Pitt's in there. So 2018, Cincinnati is a 49th best class. Michigan State 31, Kentucky 37, Iowa 39, Pitt 48. 2019, Cincinnati is 66. Michigan State 33, Kentucky 34, Indiana 36, Iowa 41. 2020, Cincinnati's 41, Kentucky's 25, Iowa's 35. 2021, Cincinnati's 45, Iowa's 24, Pitt's 29, Kentucky's 34. Kentucky has beaten them every year in the recruiting rankings, Stephen. Everybody knows it. We've written about it at cleveland.com. We've covered it on this podcast. What Vince Marrow and Mark Stoops do at Kentucky, they are excellent recruiters. They recruit above Kentucky's pay grade. They get it done, and they are great at recruiting in Ohio. I think Luke Fickle and Cincinnati, if they are in the Big 12, they have a chance to recruit at Kentucky's level. And Kentucky's level the last four years is 37-34, 25-34. And I think they have a chance to recruit at a pit level. Pit at its best is like 29-27. What's going to happen? What do you think of those comparisons? How do you think it shakes out when Cincinnati makes the move? It starts with some of these Midwest kids where, what, yes, those two are doing a heck of a job, but they also get to tell a bunch of kids, hey, you can come play in the SEC, even if it's Kentucky and not Alabama SEC football. Cincinnati moving up, that's no I, – I, it's it, now you can have the argument of, would you rather go play in the SEC where you know your ceiling is you're probably going to lose at, at minimum four games every single year, or you can come play with us and win conference championships at a potential Power 5 program. So – the Keontae Goodwins of the world or the Emil Wagners of the world who one's already committed to Kentucky, one's trending towards Kentucky. Emil Wagner lives in Cincinnati. That's a recruitment that now Luke Flickle can go win. It's like, hey, stay home and come play in a power five school instead of going to Kentucky and losing four or five games every single year, even if Kentucky has kind of conjured up something from a recruiting recruiting standpoint. That's where they win battles. It's not the Jack Sawyer. It's not the Paris Johnson or the CJ Hicks, but it's the Jair Brown who is at Ohio state right now, but could probably could Cincinnati could pull that kid. If they were in a big 12 right now, it's really, it's the Drew Aller of the world. If, if that was Kentucky's 2021 uh, quarterback commit, because they're in the big 12 right now. And then you pair that with Caden Saunders and some other guys, instead of just Derek Shepard, who's like the 10th best player in Ohio, who's the best player in Cincinnati's class. Now you can get the fifth, sixth, seventh best players in Ohio. If Ohio state doesn't want them. Nathan, they are going to be trading on their schedule. They're going to trade Memphis, SMU, East Carolina, Navy, South Florida, Temple, Tulane, and Tulsa. Those are, there are currently 11 teams in the American and three are going. So those are the eight teams that Cincinnati won't be in a conference with anymore. Again, Memphis, SMU, East Carolina, Navy, South Florida, Temple, Tulane, and Tulsa. 
They trade those eight for Kansas State, Kansas, Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, West Virginia. Is that a does that sound more attractive? Some of this is perception, Nathan. Is that significantly enough more attractive to the ear of a 17-year-old to what Steven said? I think it's a great point, Steven. The SEC is cool, but nobody's pretending that Kentucky's going to go beat Bama. It's yeah. like, come to Kentucky. You'll get to go to Tuscaloosa every couple of years and get waxed. It's cool, but you're going to get waxed. But Cincinnati can sell something where you're going to go get to play some, you know, cooler schools than Temple, but have a chance to win. Nathan, how big of a gap is that there? Well, I think when you sell that to the kid at Kentucky, you're not you're selling not just the competition, not that's a chance to play, but like you get to go showcase yourself for NFL scouts mm-hmm. against Alabama players. That's how that gets sold. That's certainly how Big Ten teams sell. Come here. We get to play Ohio State even just twice during your career, but that's two times you'll get to go up against if you're a cornerback. That's two times you're going to get to go up against the best receiver in the country if you want to put something on film or, you know, whatever, whatever pitch they're making. So I think, again, that that sort of plays in. I think you're right that perception is a part of this, but I don't know that that means the perception is completely wrong. That, I, But it goes back to what I was saying before, too. There's going to be this, this juncture where it's a little bit of a messy transition period and where the Big 12 is probably still living off of the fumes of what it was with Texas and Oklahoma. And then it maybe gets – a little bit of a, I don't know, grace period, but then it has to prove itself without those teams that it has to prove that there's a quality level there. And since I has to be as as much a part of that as it is, and maybe could be one of the leaders of that as opposed to, to trying to just absorb it. If we look at how Cincinnati compares to, to big 12 teams in the 2021 recruiting class, again, Cincinnati was 45th. That would have been the fourth best class among the new big 12 Oklahoma State was 30, Baylor was 40, West Virginia was 41, and then Cincinnati was 45. Cincinnati was ahead of BYU, Houston, and Central Florida, the other new teams. In 2020, Cincinnati also fourth. Cincinnati was 41, TCU was 23, West Virginia 37, Oklahoma State 40. So they're all kind of recruiting in the same general area. But I think, Stephen, in the end, we would say, again, it's sort of like the same discussion as the move in general. Almost certainly good. How good we have to see. They should almost certainly recruit better. How much better do we have to see? Top 25. I think the the, the Kentucky range is right. Top 25, maybe a top 20 every so often because you just had a really good year. Or maybe Ohio had a spike in some talent. And Ohio State only took five guys. Um, top 25, top 25, top 20 recruiting classes every single year. Pairing that with... 10 and two, 11, uh, you know, 11 and one, nine and three records consistently. That that's a good formula for Cincinnati to live in where they're winning big 10, big 12 championships. And at some point, if, if the big 12 was still conti- considered a power five school, maybe they have a year where it all comes together and they're a legitimate playoff contender. Yeah. Cause I, we're not talking about doing what Ohio state and, and Alabama and no. Clemson do. We're not talking about like sustaining yourself as a power. We're talking about just pushing yourself farther up into another tier, pushing yourself up into that tier that like, you know, LSU, Penn state, Oregon, those kind of programs are considered to sort of live in at this point. And to do that, you have, I think you, the Michigan state um, example you brought up, I think is a great one. Cause I don't think Michigan state all of a sudden went out and strung together a bunch of top five classes. I think it's more about, you know, 
having a real identity of what your program is, maximizing that with what you do in the recruiting, but then also taking advantage of the opportunity when it comes in front of you, because you're still going to have a pretty small margin for error. So that time when you have a chance to beat Ohio State and take that playoff spot, you have to do it because it may not that opportunity may not be there the next year. You may, you may have a better team the next year, but that Ohio State, whoever that's going to be that they're facing in the Big 12 could be better the next year. And that opportunity isn't the same. You've got to kind of strike while the iron's hot. All right. So we said we would talk about the Ohio State effect here. Nathan, you take it from a big pictures perspective. And then, Stephen, we'll talk about it from a recruiting perspective. What is the effect on Ohio State if there's a power conference team in the state? Cincinnati has been good. It's coached by a former, a guy who was head, Ohio State's head coach for a year, your longtime assistant, played at Ohio State. And there's something I want to end with, which is about how this affects the future of Luke Fickle. Is there much of an effect? And I guess my thing would be, probably, Nathan, right? If Ohio State is good, there's probably not that much effect. But I think you would find out exactly how much effect there might be if Ohio State would ever dip the way Michigan State's rise coincided with Michigan's dip several years ago. Yeah, I I see it sort of the way I see any other Big Ten school. Cincinnati will now sort of move into this thing where they're not in the Big Ten, but now they're a power five and now they have a little bit more stature. And I sort of look at them the same way I would look at Michigan State, um, the neighboring state. So maybe, I don't know if you'd say even a Penn State, but certainly like an Indiana, like, you know, when do they, when are they going to beat Ohio State head to head for prospects and, and win those recruiting battles? Because Indiana, I mean, okay, they got Desan McCullough, but that was very special circumstances. In general, when they both want the same guy and especially a, the same upper tier guy, that guy's going to Ohio State. So I don't know that I expect them that Cincinnati just moving to the Big 12 makes means they're going to win more head-to-head battles with Ohio State. Does it mean though that Cincinnati wins more battles elsewhere that they can that there's there are players that they didn't have access to before that are now going to be more attracted? Can they recruit in Texas in a way that they couldn't recruit before? I think absolutely. But I don't so, know that that necessarily affects Ohio State. Let me ask this specifically Stephen about recruiting in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. which has been an area where Ohio state traditionally has not been as strong as they have been in Cleveland and basically every other part of the state. Kerry Combs helped change that because Kerry Combs is the ultimate Cincinnati guy, but you know, Kerry Combs isn't going to coach at Ohio state forever. So in a world where Cincinnati is taking a step up and Kerry Combs is not at Ohio state, let's say where they don't have a dynamic recruiter who is like a legend in Cincinnati football on the staff. Could there be, if you were a play, if you were a really good player, a top 100, top 200 player, in Cincinnati at one of those Cincinnati powerhouses and the Bearcats are getting it done in the big 12. Could some of those kids stay home and play for Cincinnati, even if Ohio state really wants them, could that open that door? You think? I think if there's a log jam at the position they play, yes. I don't know if it'll be enough. I don't know if they'll get four or three in a, in a cycle, but I think they can get one or two. Um, I brought up Emil Wagner earlier, who's actually from Dayton, who goes to Huber Heights Way High School. But the concept is still the same, Southern Ohio School. I think if if they win that battle and then if they in – a, in a world where, like, Jair Brown wasn't so confident in his commitment and Tegra Tishbola wasn't so confident in his commitment, could they win battles like that in the future? Yeah. Could they win a, a battle like Jabrian Payne, who's from Cincinnati, goes to LaSalle in the future? Yeah. They can win those type of battles where they build up. I don't know if you can get a bunch of them in a cycle, but you can get one or two each cycle where – 
three, four years of that, you start to notice and you go, oh, that's why Ohio State lost that game because of this recruiting cycle and this recruiting cycle stacked on each other where Ohio State didn't do its due justice in Cincinnati and Cincinnati was able to take advantage of that. It's interesting. I mean, I look at it. Yeah, I don't. Is Cincinnati going to start beating Ohio State head to head? No. Could they win yeah. a special Cincinnati kid where they really make a pitch about do it for Cincinnati, do it for the city, stay here, be great. Let's go win a title and make the play, you know, win a big 12 title, make the playoff, do it for Cincinnati. I, I could see how that pitch, which I'm, which is what Luke makes all the time to every kid in Cincinnati, that pitch is strengthened. And rather than throwing yourself into, Oh, I'm one of, you know, three great defensive ends that Ohio state's taking this year. I'll just go to Cincinnati and be the star of the defense. I think that pitch is strength. And the guy like it's, it's not an exact thing, an, an exact one, like Leonard Taylor is a guy who's one of the good tight ends at Cincinnati right now. He he's from Springfield. He had committed to Michigan. I remember him being very much. He was at all the Ohio state recruiting camps was kind of in the mix. Never was fully in the mix for Ohio state. I don't think I'm the, I don't know that he picked Cincinnati over Ohio State. I don't, I don't think he did. But he decommitted from Michigan in the process and wound up at Cincinnati. He's a good player for them. So four-star guy, like a legitimate big-time recruit. So I do think I do think if Luke can aim for top 25 classes, let's have like a, the 25th best class in the country is a success, where right now the 40th best country, class in the country is a success. That's another – four or five really good players a year. That's an upgrade of a, you know, that, that, that is a difference making kind of upgrade, I think in recruiting. And I think they can do that. Let's end on Luke. We have special, I think people care about Luke Fickle. We have speculated on this podcast. Hey, if James Franklin ever left, boy, wouldn't Luke Fickle potentially be a great fit at Penn state. I think we know the, the Luke that I know, I think I'm not saying, you know, just like Ryan day, as we talked about on the Ryan day, talk about him yesterday. Ryan Day didn't want to leave the Northeast and he turned a great job down, but then he eventually was like, well, I got, what am I going to do? I got to go. And he went to San Francisco for a year. So I think Luke's preference is to stay in the area. Penn state would be close enough to the area. You know, all the grandparents can still see the grandkids. If you live in state college and the families in Ohio, there's not a million jobs like that, right? Notre Dame is one. Penn state is one. I don't think Luke would ever go to Michigan because I think it would be too weird. He already turned down Michigan state. So he's turning down the Michigan state level. So then who's clearly above that level in the geographic area, it's Penn state and Notre Dame or Ohio state. Nathan, I don't have the history and I'm going to do bad history on Cincinnati football. What if Luke has the chance to be the Woody Hayes of Cincinnati football? What if he's a chance to be the bear Bryant of Cincinnati football? What if 60 years from now, Cincinnati football plays in the Luke fickle football facility? What if 30 years from now, that's too long. Luke's my age. He's 48. 25 years from now, when Luke Fickle retires at age 73 as a head football coach, they build a statue on campus. And like everybody goes past the Fickle statue on the Cincinnati campus. What if when you think about University of Cincinnati sports, you think about Oscar Robertson and Luke Fickle. When you make a move like this, when Cincinnati is not a power five program, there's just a ceiling because every day, if you're trying to maximize who you are in football, every day you're walking uphill. And if you, if your program rises in level, you can walk on flat ground a little bit. And as long as you don't have to be walking uphill every day, 
and every now, sometimes it's like half uphill, half on flat ground. Sometimes at Ohio State, you get to run downhill. It's like, we're Ohio State. Five stars are dying to be here. I love running downhill. The key to running downhill is you just let your legs go. Don't run. Just throw your legs in front of you. Just flop. Just flop when you run. It's not even running. I could run downhill all day. I could run on flat ground for part of the day. I could run uphill for three minutes. I think sometimes it's hard to run uphill all the time. Does that, how much more attractive does does staying at Cincinnati forever, and I guess forever until Ohio State calls, how much more attractive does that potentially become to Luke Fickle in a world where the Bearcats are in the Big 12, Nathan? I mean, I wish that sort of thing happened in sports more often. You see in basketball, Mike Krzyzewski stuck around Duke. Duke Mm -hmm. wasn't what Duke is. He made it what it is, and he stayed there. You see uh, Mark Few doing it at Gonzaga right now, where I'm sure he's had um, plenty of overtures and stayed. Um, But it doesn't happen very much in football. And I think it goes back to that central question we asked kind of early on, which is, is this a Power 5 conference going forward, or is it Power 4? And then this is the the tweener. If it's just the tweener, that probably means that both in terms of stature and then maybe also finances – there will just be a a question put to Luke Fickle that he won't be able to say no to. Because that's the other part of this, too. You have to be able to get enough. Your your football program has to generate enough revenue that when somebody comes and offers him twice as much as what you're paying him, what do you do? And that that's an important part of this. It's a good point by you. But I think the difference, Not they wouldn't pay – Every head football coach, $9 million a year. But if you're starting, you know, you get a new, whatever your TV contract is in the big 12, it's better than the American. And then you get the right donors to chip in. And it is a stretch. It's a stretch to keep Luke, but it's the one stretch you do. And you at least enter a world where you have a a chance to stretch for something like that financially, because you've moved up as opposed to now we just, I like, we can't keep him. Right. I, I don't know. Now, listen, Matt Campbell's in the Big 12 right now doing this at Iowa State, right? That's the Cincinnati dream is have a year like Iowa State's having right now. Cincinnati and Iowa State are like the same team right now. It's just one of them is a Power 5 conference and one's not. So, and again, who would you rather, again, if we can go back to that conversation, who would you, if you're trying to make the playoff this year, who would you rather be, Iowa State or Cincinnati? I think if Iowa State and Cincinnati played each other head-to-head, it would be awesome. You know what Iowa State has to do to make the playoff? They got to beat Oklahoma at least once. Cincinnati doesn't have to do that. They got to beat Notre Dame. And you know what I mean? So it's like, yes, but are you sure? Because Cincinnati, if they go undefeated and they don't have to play Oklahoma, they're going to have a case. If Iowa State doesn't beat Oklahoma at least once, they're not going to get in. So this this Cincinnati schedule, though, finally has teams in that Oklahoma conversation. No, I know, but it's you're also not. In a, in a conference where you're guaranteed to have a big dog that you have to get past. And Notre Dame is not Oklahoma. So, I mean, that's, I, we don't want to go back to that conversation. But Matt Campbell, the point is Matt Campbell, everybody still thinks Matt Campbell's going to leave because how can he stay at Iowa State? And all Cincinnati's doing is elevating to Iowa State's level. So maybe I'm foolhardy to think this is the thing that keeps Luke at Cincinnati forever. Maybe. I, again, I think it, it, it's going to just kind of depend on how how – Right now, we've always looked at Cincinnati as like a holding place for Fickle because of the stature that Cincinnati has. Even though they've had success now with like multiple coaches, even though they've been up in the top 10, even before this time, 
even though they've like floated around that playoff conversation, we always just assume that there is a, there is something greater out there for him just because the ceiling that Cincinnati puts on it. And I think the best, the best way for Cincinnati to keep him is if Cincinnati does something like what Michigan state did approaching that, that not to the level that Clemson did it, but something along those lines, because if they are still a, if they are still upward aspirant, even within this new big 12, I think it'll be easy to pull him away, easier to pull him away. I think it's almost a conversation you have to revisit after you see what he does with three years in this, in that world. Yeah. Okay. I think that covers it. I think we've covered uh, that topic. We covered Kings of the North. We covered my book. Thanks to you guys indulging that. Uh, if you want to order the book, I'll talk about it more in the podcast when I have it set up, but also follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. That will do it for now. We'll be back on Friday with our game preview pod. And make sure you listen to that. We'll dig in on Ohio State, Oregon. For now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.